time for your week daily look at the NBA and your Charlotte Hornets. It's time for the Hive O'Clock Alarm. Oh, that sounds amazing. Good Friday, April 15th, Hive O'Clock Alarm. I'm Doug Branson. Thanks for listening. I'm joined by my good friend, David Walker. David, it's not technically tax day, usually 415 tax day, but they extended it to the 18th. I think. Um, oh my God, you're right, Doug. Oh my God. Okay, I got to get. Out. Sorry. No, you have. A, it's okay. You have a few extra days to get your taxes in. It's good. I, I think they did it. I think they did it specifically for uh, the NBA playoffs. They knew people were excited. Yeah. They knew. I think it was specifically for the people of Charlotte, North Carolina, and I appreciate it. Federal government, frankly. Yeah, I definitely do. All right, I want to get people updated on a little news before we get into the meat of this thing. Um, the NBA is expected to address this 2017 All-Star Game situation. Of course, the 2017 All-Star Game slated to be in Charlotte, for now at least. Uh, this briefing would be at their regularly, regularly, God, that's a tough word, scheduled Board of Governors meeting in New York. Uh, if, if you recall, of course, uh, House Bill 2 here in North Carolina, signed by Governor Pat McCrory, uh, seen by many as a discriminatory law and seen by the NBA, who was quoted as saying that they're deeply concerned that this discriminatory law runs counter to our guiding principles of equality and mutual respect. And it's caused the NBA to have second thoughts about whether or not they want to hold the 27 All-Star, 2017 All-Star Game in Charlotte. So they're going to address team owners today. Uh, don't know any more than that, but uh, of course, uh, check us out on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. And as soon as we know something, we will tweet that information out. And uh, who knows, David? I mean, this situation, it, it, you, you've got senators, you've got Charles Barkley, you've got uh, Stan Van Gundy all coming out and saying, move this all-star yeah, yeah. game from Charlotte. So it's the situation is yeah, looking Doug, more dire. You, do you think this is um, – well, I don't think it's going away. I think that we have the answer to that. It's not going away anytime soon. Do you think this is – in terms of keeping the game in Charlotte, I guess, which is where we tried to focus it from, is this uh, good? Is this holding steady? Is this bad news? I mean, I think they're eventually going to have to say something, but where do you think this lands You know, before you actually hear anything? I, th- I think – I think the the doomsday clock on the 2017 All-Star game is at about 11:58 at this point. I think we're pretty close to to having it moved because there hasn't been a, a response there's been more response on the side of let's move this thing from prominent voices more than a response from the prominent voices here in North Carolina saying wait a minute, hold on, let's keep it and here's what we can do to keep it. Now you did have the governor Pat McCrory issue an executive order that walked back some of the issues that people have with House Bill 2. But I think there's this idea, and you've heard statements from other companies, that really the only thing that's going to affect real change is having this law repealed. And I don't know if there's enough in that executive order to appease a group like the NBA, because the NBA is different in that they've taken such strong stances on all of this. And so really, you, you know, I think they're less inclined to take a political uh, compromise kind of solution 
as opposed to but they have all the what I'm saying is they have all the leverage in this situation. Right. And they can do it. I mean, they can make it happen, but there is a clock on them doing that. I think we talked about that. So they can't wait until, you know, December, right? I mean, so if they're gonna actually do this and get serious about it, it's gotta you would think it's gotta come sooner rather than later. So that's why I think you're probably right that the clock is ticking on any hopes of keeping it here, I think. All right, so we'll keep you updated on that. Also, we participated in a QueenCityHoops.com 5-on-5 along with WFNZ and several of the writers there at Queen City Hoops. Five questions, five answers. And uh, we just wanted to go through each of these and maybe discuss them a little more in depth uh, than what we wrote down. First question, uh, let's reflect 48 wins. What was your prediction at the beginning of the season for Charlotte, and how exactly did this team get here amidst all the injuries, David? Yeah, I couldn't really remember my prediction there, Doug. I think it was around the 30 wins. The the predictions for the Hornets, especially after MKG went down, were so bad. I mean, there were some people saying that Clifford would be fired. Certainly not many thought the Hornets would make the playoffs. I didn't have them anywhere close to 50 wins, I can tell you that much. And they ended up with 48. So, I think the biggest thing for the Hornets and why they did that was just the complete overall, the additions they made to the roster, not only with shooting, but with guys that could come in there and make plays. So additional playmakers and Nick Batum and Jeremy Lin to help take some of the heat off of Kimball Walker from both of those areas, scoring and playmaking and the three-point shooting. I mean, that, that changed the look of this team, how they played, how they won, and how they stayed in games. And they went from 30th dead last to – seventh, I believe, uh, in overall three-point percentage. So that was the biggest reason to me why they were able to, again, without MKG, to, to rebound. And no one knew how these pieces would fit, right? So that was a bit of a guessing game. Mm-hmm. Until you saw it out on the court, you really weren't sure about it, but it all worked out well. Yeah, I was. I think I was a bit more optimistic. I think I was around 40 wins even after the MKG injury. I just liked the addition of Batum, but even that would have put them below 500. I thought, you know, no one, I don't think anyone expected the East to be as good as it was because I mm-hmm. think my thinking was 40 wins, 40 and 42, you probably have a shot at least at the eighth seed, you know, similar to what the Hornets did in the previous season. Uh, and how did they get here? I mean, you just said it, shooting. Uh, just shot the lights out of the ball and ball movement. And, you know, this idea that we've talked about all season of Rich Cho going out and finding a group of guys and, and rolling the dice on some guys who needed to have great years yep. and the stakes. And you found guys with stakes. They had they had skin in the game. Nick Batum had skin in the game. He had to have a good year to force that next contract. Jeremy Lin, you give him the player option. You know He has an opportunity to uh, restart his career. I mean, you just take chances on guys, and it worked out. And it didn't work out for entire seasons. Like Jeremy Lamb, You know his development didn't work out over the course of the season, but in, in moments he was able to shine, and that's what you need. Get different guys stepping up at different times. All right, mm-hmm. question number two. Okay, so the playoffs. The Hornets will get the heat in the first round, and Miami is a team that enjoys slowing games down. Can the Hornets speed the heat up? Will they have to play to Miami's preferred pace, or does it really even matter, David? Yeah, I think that's, as the saying goes, it's easier to slow a team down than to, than to speed them up, right? And it's not like the Hornets are the Warriors as far as up and down, super fast pace, but they do want to play a more free-flowing game than do the heat but i think the more important thing and you mentioned it uh just now is that ball movement right so 
if the Hornets can get out and run, I think they're going to take advantage. But where they've been more most successful this year and able to win games is when that ball is moving around the perimeter. They're, they're whipping it around, and they're getting it into guys in good scoring position. And where they've had struggles, and Stephanie Reddy points it out all the time on the broadcast, is when that ball sticks or when somebody is taking it one-on-one or trying to do too much and not getting other guys involved. So I think as long as they do that, they play their game where they can get those good looks at threes um, and create driving lanes and hopefully not take it right into the face and hands of Hassan Whiteside. I think that's going to be the biggest key. And Miami has been playing a little faster pace as of late, which is more suited to guys like Goran Dragic. But um, I think if the Hornets can continue to play their game with the ball movement, that's going to be the biggest thing. Yeah, and and the Miami Heat have a a, a couple more shot makers than the Hornets. And that, that allows them, I think, to slow down the pace a little bit because mm-hmm. they can get in an isolation situation with guys like Dwayne Wade, Joe Johnson – and still come away with with two points. So, uh, you know, I think it's less important for the Heat to have to speed things up, but for the Hornets, I think they have to keep the pace up for their own offense because they play so much better. Uh, but we'll see how that works out. All right, yeah. uh, moving on to the next question. Dwayne Wade is, well, he's Dwayne Wade. Joe Johnson is uh, a killer to opponents late in games, and Hassan Whiteside might be from another planet. He averaged 3.7 blocks per game this season. That led the NBA. What is the toughest and most important matchup for Charlotte in this series? I'm going with Hassan Whiteside versus, I think you'll see both Cody Zeller in the starting lineup, which Hassan Whiteside has now been reinserted into. And I think you'll also see Al Jefferson. I think the key is to find ways to get Cody Zeller the ball and, and get him a driving lane so that he can force Hassan Whiteside, who is prone to committing fouls, to commit those early fouls, and and that will, you know, either make him more careful when he guards Jefferson later in the game in in a, in a rotation situation, or he isn't and he fouls out of the game. So I think that's going to be a key matchup for Charlotte. Yeah, you want to see one of those running starts from Cody, right, where he's yes. almost running full three quarter court, grabs a you know gets the pass and then takes off and a white side because white side is just a brick wall. I mean, he's a, he's a huge guy and I think you're right. They don't have anyone that can really match up with him as far as just pure presence in the, in the paint. And you saw it that game in Charlotte where they kept going after him. They kept going after him. Is that the first or second game? Doug, do you recall matchup of this season? Where they kept going after him. That was uh, the 98, 95 victory. So that would have been the third matchup. Okay. Yeah, that didn't work out too well for Charlotte. but So I think they, they've got to avoid that. I think that um, the question mentioned Joe Johnson and Dwayne Wade, and those guys, they will go ISO on those guys, uh, the Heat will. And I think, which can be good and bad, you know, I think if they're missing, that's going to be detrimental, obviously, to the Heat. So someone uh, I haven't heard mentioned in, in many of these playoff previews, you guys mentioned last night a little bit, Courtney Lee, though. Uh, if he can bother some guys on the wing, along with Nick Batum, because when Jeremy Lin and Kimball Walker are out there, they're going to give up some size to Dragic or Wade or um, or Joe Johnson, so guys like that on the wing. So I think that'll be big, too. Yeah, I think you'll see Courtney Lee on Dwayne Wade a lot, and then they'll move Nick Batum to Joe Johnson to try to get those hands up in the air and mm-hmm. bother some of those Joe Johnson threes. I think a, a, an mm-hmm. important thing with the Hassan Whiteside versus Cody Zeller matchup is that if Hassan Whiteside goes hunting for blocks – then that's going to leave space between him and Cody Zeller. And I guarantee you that Zeller is not going to use that space to put up a shot. 
He's going to use that space to drive. And, and that's, I think, where the opportunities come to get Hassan Whiteside, who who can at times be a little undisciplined on defense, opportunities to get him in foul trouble. All right, let's move on to the fourth question. And it's on Kimba Walker. Is Kimba Walker the most important player for Charlotte in this series, David? Or is there another underlying key player? I think he is, yeah. You look back at the successful run in March that the Hornets had, and a lot of that was fueled by the scoring and the play of Kimba Walker. I think for them to play at their peak, it does all start with him. Now, obviously, this team has many, many options, especially when it comes to scoring. And it's odd because you can almost get down the roster this year, Doug, and you guys mentioned it last night, where individual players, like all the way down to even Hansborough, Troy Daniels, um, guys like Spencer Hawes, you can remember times within this season where they've been big and they've given key contributions. Obviously, it hasn't been every night. But I think Kemba Walker is the key to making this team go offensively. It doesn't necessarily have to be scoring 30 points a night, but keeping the turnovers down and being that available option when they do need a bucket down the stretch. Because I think if they need a, a basket to win or tie a game, it's still going to him. So, I think it starts with the point guard. I think it starts with the leader of the team. So that's why I go with Kimball Walker. Well, and, and you just brought up the, the most pertinent point in all of this. Uh, you look at the matchups that the Hornets have had with the Heat this season, and they've all been very tight. They've all included big runs by both teams. And Kimball Walker has led so many of those extended Hornets runs. And, of course, he's going to be the guy that the Hornets look to in late-game situations to knock down buckets. So, yes, Kimball mm-hmm. Walker is absolutely, without question, the most important Hornets player in this series. No question. Yeah. All right. Okay. We agree. We're totally all over. <laughs> Listen, no, I'm telling you, David, that you're right, okay? <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> question number five. Pick the winner! And tell us how many games it will take. The city of Charlotte hasn't witnessed a playoff victory since 2002. But it definitely feels like this streak will come to an end. Is this the year that the Hornets get over the hump and get back to the Eastern Conference semifinals? Mm, that was your question, Doug, so you take that one. I don't know. I, I, I'm scared. I don't want to answer. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, I don't I don't jinx wanna, it. I, I don't want predictions I was either. Hoping, I was hoping you would you. answer. <laughs> Hey, Doug, I'm going to say, you know, it's been quite the banner year for sports uh, here in the Carolinas. Maybe not from a championship-winning perspective. No, no, no we're, not, to, we're not in the championship yeah. yet. The, the Charlotte, no, Charlotte no, and not. North Carolina has been very good at advancing early. Yes. Well, you know, you had the Panthers in the Super Bowl. You had, you had Clemson and North Carolina in the ACC title game. You had Clemson in the national title game. You had North Carolina in the national title game. So, I think it's been a, a good run of sports this year. I think Charlotte can do it. I think people are right in saying that um, home court advantage is big, uh, but I don't think I it's don't the I, I don't think it's the biggest deal in this series because you look at it. They split two two. They have the identical, identically same record, Doug. So I mean, I think it's going to come down to a little more than just where the games are played. And I think if Charlotte can steal one of these first two, that puts them in great position to to win the series. I think home court advantage is somewhat important but i think when you have two teams it's a thing thing, but when you have two teams that are as familiar with each other as these two teams Mm -hmm. are i think it's less of a thing you know i mean they've played in this building two times this season they've won in this build in in american airlines arena so i just don't think that that's the biggest 
factor in this game. I mean, there's going th- these games are going to be tight. They're going to come down to two or three possessions, I think. And and I think the Hornets have proven time and time again when that situation does crop up, they have the talent, they have the shot making ability to to come out with victories in those type of games. I mean, they've played well in overtime this season. I do think that this is the year that Charlotte gets over the hump. I'm picking the Hornets in six games. I think the Hornets I think the Hornets can expose the youth and inexperience of the players that the Heat depend on, like Josh Richardson. I mean when the when the Heat the Heat have been very good in March, in March and April. But the games that yeah. they've lost, you can look back at each of those games and normally Josh Richardson struggles going 0 for 6, 0 for 5, and, and Justice Winslow quiets down scoring. So I mean you, you can look at these guys that that uh, have little experience and and Hassan Whiteside being another and go man you know they're giving these guys 35 30 to 35 minutes per game how is that going to translate in playoff basketball versus uh, uh, players on on the Hornets side who have experience in the playoffs I don't know maybe they step up to the challenge I don't think it's going to happen I think the Hornets win in six did you actually give yeah, a prediction think- David. No, 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 I didn't. I'll keep it that way. No, um, you, no, yeah, no listen, you I, have to I, say something. I said I thought they would win. I'll go in seven just because it's such a close game, although I think winning that seventh game on the road is going to be tough. But what I was about to say, though, think about the matchups for these two teams because they played the first or second game of the season against each other, right? So mm-hmm. they played two. Didn't they play two right out of the gate? Right. Think of how different these yeah. two teams are. I mean, think of the struggles the Hornets alone have gone through since that time. I mean, you guys talked about the losing streaks last night. I kind of forgot about the uh, Justin deep cut game of the year. I certainly, that one was not the one that popped in my head um, to, to start, but, but I recall it. So, I mean, think of all of the ebbs and flows with this team, you know, and the heat to, to their credit, they have a guy from out of nowhere. They lose Bosch. So, I mean, it's a much different matchup than it was certainly at the beginning of the season. I think the ones more recently are more indicative of what we might see going forward. So um, certainly home court, like we said, is big, but I, I think the matchups just team to team are going to be close and maybe negate some of that advantage for the Heat. It's going to be physical. It's going to be intense. It's. I, I think that uh, by the end of this thing, I think it could absolutely go seven. And I think by the end of this game, you'll have guys like, uh, uh, Kenny the Jet Smith and Charles Barkley saying that this was the sneaky best first round series in the playoffs so far. I can't wait. David, I know you can't wait. And we have much more analysis ahead here on Hive Talk Live. And again, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. This is it. I mean, I'm excited. I'm like, I got goosebumps right now. This show started. This show started the year that the Bobcats went to the playoffs. And of course, we were, oh. Spencer and I were. I remember those shows when when uh, Al Jefferson got plantar fasciitis, and we I were just. I was a guest. I was a guest on season shows. And we were we were so disappointed, and we were so distraught mm-hmm. because the Horn, the the Bobcats had made it so far and and looked like they were going to be a factor, looked like they were going to give uh, the, the 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 Heat some problems in that series. And then, and then that happened. So, but it's a much different feeling now, David. It's, it's. There's an excitement. There's a yeah. That we can absolutely do this. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm extremely excited. So keep it locked in here, and we'll be back uh, Tuesday at the, at the latest. We'll be back Tuesday. We may do something earlier. Who knows? At Hive Talk Live on Twitter. Until then, folks. 
All hail the playoffs and the teal and purple.